Well, yeah, my name's Rob. I'm part of the leadership team here at the church, and uh, I'd like to extend my welcome to you as well. It's great seeing so many of you today on this uh, wet and windy day. Um, and also, it's lovely seeing so many new faces. I'm um, looking out, there's a lot of you here that have been uh, coming to us only recently, so uh, it's really lovely to have you with us as well. Um, if you didn't know, we're looking through the books of Thessalonians at the moment. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, uh, now's the time to find it. Um, I will... Well, we all have the words up behind me in a minute, but just give you a chance to find it. But just while you are, I wonder, are you waiting for the call? Are you waiting for a phone call right now? Is there a big call that you're expecting? I wonder how you react when the phone rings. Is it with excitement or perhaps anxiety? Is there important family news that you're waiting for at the moment? Um, and the call could come any moment. What about you know, the response to that interview you had? Finding out about the job, you're waiting for the call. I wonder if it's uh, waiting for that call from the hospital to tell you that it's time for your operation. I know there's a few who are waiting. I wonder if there's any calls that you don't really want. You know, during the pandemic, none of us really wanted that call from Track and Trace, did we? You know, how would we react to that? I know some of you, through your jobs, you're on call. I know even today there's a few of you who are on call, and at any moment the phone might ring and you've got to jump to action and respond. I don't know about you, but in our house, we don't really answer our landline anymore. Anyone else like that? Yeah, every time I, I say, if you are trying to call me, please don't call me on the home phone. We probably won't answer, because it's usually one of a few things. It's either double glazing, solar panels, yeah, a few nodding, my Amazon account, something wrong with that, and I just need to give them my bank account details again. Or my favorite, there's an accident that wasn't my fault that I've been in again. I must admit, once when I was told I was in an accident, I asked them if I was okay. They hung up on me. I, I hope I was fine. <laughs> but perhaps not the best response, but usually I try with grace to answer politely, thank you, but I'm not interested. Why am I talking about calls? Well, the passage we're looking at today, when I was preparing, I really felt there was a real theme of call and response as we go through this passage, passage today. There's a call from outside the church against Paul's authority to say, you know, don't listen to him, and he's got to respond. There's uh, the call from Paul. He challenges the Thessalonians today to honor God, and we see how they respond to that. There's a call of God himself in inviting us and them into the kingdom of God, and that demands a response. Paul praises the Thessalonians, as we'll see, for how they responded to the word of God. And again, what can we learn from that? And then there's that uh, challenge of persecution, and we'll see how Paul responds in that as well. So the call and response is my theme I'd like to look at today. So if you've got your Bible ready, it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'll be going from uh, verses 6 through to 9. Sorry, from 9 to 16. I get it right. 9 to 16. Here we go. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil... We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. 
For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last." So I'm just going to pray before I continue. Father God, thank you for your word. We do believe it is the word of God, and we just thank you for it. And we just pray today that you would speak through me, that we would gain something from your word today, that we would hear your voice, and that we would be changed and challenged by you through your word. Amen. So this section today that we're looking at is part of Paul's defense of his ministry, continuing on from what Cy brought last week. He's reminding them about how he acted towards them, his conduct while he was with them. And the main reason is because there were accusations against him from outside the church that risked derailing this this young church of believers. And this is his response. He first, he talks to them about how hard he worked, night and day, labor and toil, he calls it. And this this wasn't the church work he's talking about. This is outside of that time that he spent preaching the gospel, which, of course, he worked tirelessly at as well. This is work he did while he was preaching. And we can see in Acts 18 that Paul, his job was a tent maker. So we can assume, or perhaps he was doing that outside of preaching the gospel. So we saw last week there were accusations of greed towards him and his companions, that somehow they were in it for the money to make converts that would make him rich. And he's reminding them the absolute opposite is true. He worked hard to pay his own way so that he wouldn't be a burden to them. Paul and Silas and Timothy, they refrained from claiming the rights that they could have done as leaders in the church. They could have asked for provision, but they didn't. And it's true for what happened in Corinthians as well. When they were in Corinth, they didn't want to be a burden, so they didn't claim any help. Paul then reminds them about his conduct while he's with them. He says it's holy, righteous, and blameless. And again, this is in direct response to accusations that he was somehow being deceptive in teaching them. But instead, his uh, actions and his lifestyle with them actually showed an authenticity to his uh, ministry. It backed up what he was teaching. He describes himself here as a father with children. Last week, Sai took us through the passage that said he was like a nursing mother. But this time, he's a father encouraging his children. See, they clearly loved the church in Thessalonica. And like a parent, they wanted the best for the church. He didn't boss them around, but he did encourage. And the challenge was to do likewise to him, to walk in a manner worthy of God, verse 12. And this, I think, is the first big call and response that they had. He's reminding that they were witnesses to how uh, he lived amongst them, and now he's encouraging them to live a life worthy of God in the same way. Now, of course, I'm sure we all know from experience, it's very disheartening when someone challenges you to do something and then you don't see it in their own life. We don't have to look back far, do we? Think party gates during lockdown. But this isn't so with Paul, is it? It's another reason why he's reminding them of how he acted with them. His conduct was because he wanted to be an example to them. He called them to live in a way that he was living in his life first. And this is a challenge, isn't it? Especially for leaders. I certainly recognize that for myself. And as parents too, we want our children to flourish, don't we? We want to see them make a positive uh, contribution to society. We want them to run hard for God. And we have a great opportunity 
and a responsibility to be an example to them in how we live first. A few weeks ago, um, Anna spoke from, from the first passage about imitation and challenged us, who are we imitating? Does, do others see Jesus in us? Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that helps us understand a bit more about him as a father with his children. Because a parent should not only lead by example, but also encourage as well. We know that the, the, sorry, the Thessalonians, they did respond to this challenge. They did respond to the call. We see in chapter 1, they were imitators of Paul and the Lord. They were examples to other believers. They had a reputation for their faith, and Paul was really pleased with them. He made this similar challenge to other churches, for example, to the Ephesians. He said, I therefore, in Ephesians 4, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And to the Colossians, in chapter 1, he says, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, full of endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. But I think this, the key to this verse is the second part, because it says, walk in the manner of worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. To live a life worthy of God, to live holy lives, to please him, is a response to the call of God. If we miss that, then we fall in, you know, potentially could fall into the danger of thinking it's about our works, about our efforts, how well we walk. Paul saw himself as a father, didn't he? Loving his children, giving everything for them, and then challenging them to respond. And I think that's a picture of, the, of, of what God does. Our heavenly father has given everything to us, his best, his son, and that demands a response. Looking again at that Colossians 1 verse, when he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, if we jump to verse 12, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the reason why we're called to walk. It's in response to what God has done. I like how John Calvin writes about this. He says, Since our salvation is based on God's free adoption of us, every blessing that Christ has brought us is included in this single phrase. It now remains for us to respond to God's call, i.e., to show ourselves to be such children to him as he is a father to us. So like the Thessalonians, we're called into the kingdom by God the Father. Salvation is a free gift, an act of grace. It's not dependent on our walk with him. It's dependent on our faith in him. And this call is an invitation to all the good that the Father has for us. It's an invitation to be part of the eternal celebration of the victory that Christ has won on the cross. I was trying to think, wonder what I can compare this to. And then I thought about wedding. After all, when someone's getting married, they send out an invitation, don't they? And what's our job? To RSVP. We've got to respond. And it's at that point, when we've accepted an invitation, that's when we can start thinking about getting our best clothes together, making sure we get there on time, bringing our best gift, and hopefully behaving appropriately on the day. That's why taking young children is a challenge, isn't it, to weddings? 
The invitation is not based on what label you're wearing to the wedding. It's not based on how expensive your gift is. The invitation is there because the happy couple want you part of the celebration. Our response is a way to honor them, isn't it? We once had a responsibility to um, get a cake to our friend's wedding. Georgie had been asked to make the cake, which she spent hours on, making it absolutely perfect, and my job was to drive it there. It was, it was in Bedford, so a bit of a journey. We were in London at the time, but it stood a few hours, and that's not so bad, but then our car broke down just before the wedding. Thankfully, a friend of ours stepped in and said, it's all right, you can borrow my car, which is great. It was a beautiful, very fast Audi. And if you've seen my car, that's quite an upgrade. <laughs> Stop laughing at my car. Um, it was... One of those cars that as soon as you sit in the seat, you just want to see what it can do. <laughs> Bucket seats, really low to the ground, and in practically small boot space, which we just got the cake in. Georgie had given her absolute best to make this cake perfect for the day, and I had to give my absolute greatest restraint and self-control as I drove this car. For the whole journey, I was absolutely focused. Every gear change, gently around every corner, didn't want to suddenly break or swerve. You know, we just wanted to honor our friends. They'd given us one job. They'd called, us on, called on us to do this, and we wanted to honor them in it. We did get the, car there, the, sorry, the cake there safely, and the car, and we enjoyed a great day of celebration. And if you're interested, the journey home was a bit more fun. <laughs> <laughs> safely within the rules of the road and the speed limits, I promise. Just a bit more relaxing, shall I say. Um, but my point is this. Our hard work and our efforts weren't the reason we were invited. We didn't get there and say, look, we've got the cake, now can we come in? Actually, our hard work and efforts was a response to the invitation to be part of a celebration on that day. Back in this passage, I think it's similar. The challenge to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is a response. God invites us to be part of something wonderful, a wonderful relationship with him. And thankfully, we're not called to do it by ourselves. The prophet Ezekiel said God's words, and he said, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put in them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Why? That they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, I shall be their God. It doesn't say that when we've got it right or when we've kept the rules, then God will allow us to come near him. It's the other way around. God is the one who changes our hearts. It's his spirit in us first that allows us to walk in a way that shows we're his. So I wonder, are you allowing the call of God to shape your daily walk? We've got to put grace first. It's great that Jenny wanted to bring Ephesians 2 today. It is by grace that we're saved, and we've got to put everything else in perspective from there. So moving on, the Thessalonians' lives were changed in response to the gospel of God. And the one that Paul and the others proclaimed, he expands on it in verse 13. And he says this, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Again, Paul is reminding them and encouraging them about how they came to faith. What was this word of God that they brought we can see it in Acts chapter 17 when we read about the account of Paul in Thessalonica. It says here, they came to Thessalonica, 
There was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So the word of God that Paul's referring to here is the gospel. Earlier in verse 9, it says that they proclaimed the gospel. And the original Greek for that translates something like his acting like a herald to make a public declaration. Now, the job of the herald is to pass on a message, nothing more. It's not to change it by adding to it, not to cut parts out. The job of a herald is not to make it more elaborate, easier on the ear. Their job is not to share their opinions. Their responsibility is to make the message heard. It reminds me of uh, town criers, you know, with their bells and their booming voices, oh, yay, oh, yay. Where, when I grew up, one of my neighbors was the local town crier, and I was always fascinated to see him at uh, local events, just giving it his all and grabbing everyone's attention. I don't think we see enough town criers anymore. It also reminds me recently when the Queen passed, and there were those proclamations made in different towns around the country to say that there was a new king. I don't know if you saw it on the news, but... Every clip, in every clip, every person said the same things, the same words. They had to stick to the official wording. That meant that everyone heard the same message. And this is, I think, why Paul and uh, Silas and the others are like heralds, proclaiming the message that they had been given, repeating it everywhere they went. Paul says he thanks God constantly that the Thessalonians received what they said, but more importantly, accepted. And there is a difference between receiving it and accepting it. I think the big question looking at this passage, though, is whose words were they? Were they Paul's words? Were they God's words? Well, Paul acknowledges both the human and the divine element. First, he says, you received the word of God, which you received from us. So Paul's clear that they were the ones who said the words. But then he says, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God. He's emphasizing the divine source of what he's saying. Like a herald, the words might come from their mouths, but actually the message comes from a higher authority. And that's the same here from Paul. It's clear that the message was from God to the Thessalonians, but came through the apostle. And Paul is confident that his words are God's words. In Acts chapter 9, we read about Paul's conversion. He was formerly known as Saul and was persecuting the early church before he encountered the risen Jesus, who commissioned him to teach others about him. It was clearly a divine call for Paul. And how did he respond? A life of obedience, then traveling and telling everyone the message that he was given. To the Galatians, he also expands on this dynamic between human and uh, divine in the message. To the Galatians in verse chapter 1, it says... For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Then jumping to verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 2, he said... We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths 
to those who are spiritual. In the Old Testament, there are many times when you read the prophets proclaiming, this is the word of the Lord, or thus says the Lord. And Paul's making almost a similar claim here to say that these words should be received on the same level. These are God's words. And Peter, who was another apostle and one of the early church leaders, he affirms Paul's uh, words and affirms Paul's teaching that has divine authority. You can read in his letter, 1 Peter 2, he wrote this to the churches. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks of them in these matters, these, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own, in, to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. And that's the key, that as they do the other scriptures. Peter is saying that Paul's words should be taken in the same category as the other scriptures. So Paul's words were God's words. So what can we learn from this passage about how we can respond to God's words? Firstly, we can accept it with the same mindset that it is the, it is the word of God. Paul shows the word of God here to be objective, not subjective. What do I mean? The word of God, the gospel that Jesus died for our sin to make us right with him, through God, with God through faith, this is true whether it's accepted or not. That makes it objective. Some would argue it's subjective, that actually I might believe it, true for me, you might not believe it. If it feels right for me, it's true, but if it doesn't feel right for you, it's not true. Or even some might say it becomes true the moment you believe it. But Paul doesn't give us any space for that. He says, they accepted the word of God as what it is, the word of God. See, I could make something up, couldn't I, and tell you it, but just because you believe me doesn't make it true. I know for myself growing up, I went to church uh, as a young child for my family. I heard the word of God regularly. I received it, but I hadn't accepted it. In my late teens, God really changed my heart, and then it made sense. It didn't suddenly become true the moment I believed it. I believed it because I realized it was true. Huge difference. So if you've been around church for a while, you've heard this message before. Not that one. Okay? I would encourage you today, and my prayer for you today is that God would show you the truth of his word. I really like how um, John Piper uh, describes this passage, and he observed that the Thessalonians accepted the word of God in three ways. Precious, pleasant, and practical. Three Ps, isn't that good? He accepted it, they accepted it as precious. In the face of persecution and suffering, the word of God was worth more to them than personal comfort or anything the world could offer. They accepted it as pleasant. In chapter 1, it says they received it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And practical, it literally changed their lives and how they lived. I love the account of uh, Paul's time in Thessalonica uh, in Acts chapter 17. After bringing many to salvation, there was a riot and the people dragged those who believed before the uh, city authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down. How true they were, but probably in a way they didn't realize. The apostles preached the word, and the, the world was turned upside down. Those who accept the gospel will never be the same again. I know that's true for me, and many of you as well. So is that how you respond to the gospel? Has your world been turned upside down by it? 
In verse 13, it says, the word of God is at work in you believers. We can also, also respond to the word of God by allowing it to continue working in our lives. Notice the use of passive, sorry, passive tense. It's God who's doing the work in us, not us doing the work. Remember Paul at the start of the passage, talking about working harder than anyone else, labor and toil night and day, but, he, but that didn't bring him any closer to God. Remember, it was a response to what God had done and was continuing to do in him. And that's how we can respond to it too. Responding to the gospel and all that God has said through scripture, expecting that God will continue to speak to us. In Hebrews 4, it says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God wants to do a really deep work in us through his word. In 1 Timothy 2, sorry, in 2 Timothy 3, Paul wrote that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So let's come to the Bible with an expectation of meeting with God and hearing his words today. Can I encourage you to make time to read it, meditate on it, try and memorize it, and of course, respond to it. And just also on a side note, bring it on a Sunday morning. You know, I know that uh, many of you have the Bible on your phone, which is great. I use my phone, use my Bible app. But actually, I think there's nothing quite like having it in your hand, is there? Helps you read around the passage. And also, you're not going to get distracted. It's not going to ping with a message or from something from social media. So can I encourage you, just on the side there, bring your Bibles on a Sunday morning. Open it during the preach. Be intentional during worship. God might speak to you through it. The final response that we see in this passage to the gospel is very different. This time it's one of opposition and persecution. I'll just read again from verse 14. It says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. We don't know all the details about this suffering that the church in Judea faced, but it must have been quite well known to the early church. And we see here that the Thessalonians must have faced something very similar. Last week, Paul, uh, sorry, Sai spoke about persecution and suffering, so I won't Go over that too much again. This section can be quite challenging to hear. What does Paul mean about the Jewish people? Now, I don't want to avoid these verses, but due to time, I will need to be brief. I was quite surprised reading into this. Many commentators have really noted the tone of Paul's words at the end there. Some have described it as violent, vindictive, passionate, bitter, harsh, an attack on all Jews. There have even been suggestions that Paul didn't actually write these last few verses and that someone later added it to his letter. Most commentators disagree and say there's no evidence for that, though. 
To believe the suggestion that Paul was anti-Jewish, though, you'd have to ignore lots of what he's written and his actions. He was proud of his Jewish heritage, and he hoped that all Jews would find salvation in Christ. For example, you just need to read through Romans 9 and 10 and 11 to see that. In Romans 9, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What Paul's saying there is he would rather be cut off from God himself if it meant that all his fellow Jews would be saved. In Romans 10, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for God, to God for them is that they may be saved. Furthermore, I think it's interesting that while Paul wrote this book, this letter to the Thessalonians, he was in Corinth. And we can see in Acts 18 that while he was in Corinth, it says that he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath to try to persuade Jews and Greeks. In fact, that's what he did every time he went into a new city, a new town. That was his pattern that he followed. He always reached out again to his fellow Jews with the gospel. So I think these are not words of someone who hates all Jewish people. Far from it. But he is, in, he is addressing individuals, those who are persecuting the church. John Stott sums it up pretty well. He says, Paul is simply stating facts. Many of his Jewish contemporaries were rejecting, were rejecting Christ, opposing the gospel, hindering Gentiles from being saved. In consequence, God's wrath had come upon them, as Jesus himself had warned. I think what's important from this section is that Paul is making a comparison. He's saying that the Thessalonians faced persecution from those around them, the countrymen, those other people living in Thessalonica who would most likely have been Gentiles, and that this persecution was similar to what the churches in Judea faced from their countrymen, mostly Jews. Now, I've been speaking today, haven't I, about calls and responses. Paul commended the Thessalonians for how they responded to the gospel, the word of God. But what is clear that both here in Thessalonica and in Judea, there were many who did not accept the word of God. They did not accept the good news of Jesus. And some not only rejected it, but were actively opposed to it. So what's Paul's response? As we saw earlier, he went again. Every time he went to a new city, he went again to his Jewish countrymen. And he never lost hope that they would be saved. Reminds me of Jesus' words too on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Jesus said, You've heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. So as I come to a close, let's not lose hope for those who have rejected the gospel. And let's pray for those who actively oppose it, whether that's personally in your life or whether that's persecution around the world. Let's pray that God gives them a new heart and that they're able to accept the gospel and the call of God. Amen? Amen. Can I invite the worship team back up, please? I do feel that we can't go into time worship without making a response. That's been my theme this, this, this morning, is about responding to the word of God. So um, can I encourage you to stand? I'd love to pray for us. I wonder what's 
What have you got to respond to today? What's your response to what I've said? Do you need to respond to the gospel? Perhaps you've heard it before, you've received this message, but perhaps you haven't accepted it. This is your chance today to accept it. God is inviting you into his kingdom, and we'd love to pray with you, whether come to the front in a moment after we've worshipped, or perhaps turn to the person who has brought you today, that you can pray with them and accept the gospel for yourself. I wonder if there's something that's hindering your walk. Perhaps you know there's something that's not honoring God in the way you live. Bring that to him now. Let's respond. Has God been challenging you from his word lately? And you think, actually, God's been you know, reminding me about that, but I haven't responded yet. Now's your chance. Or perhaps there's someone that you've been praying for and praying for, but then stopped. And God's saying, no, pray again. Don't lose heart for their salvation. So before we sing, let's just spend a few moments quietly responding to God in whichever way you feel called to. Yeah, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus for us and you call us into your kingdom. We thank you you only want the best for us. And Father God, I pray today, Lord, if there's anyone here who just who is challenged by that invitation by you today, I pray, God, you would just soften their hearts and by your spirit just reveal yourself to them. Father God, I pray you'd help us today to respond to your word. Where there are things in our lives that we know are not honoring you, Lord, give us your strength, your spirit to say no, to change, to repent. Father God, help us. We thank you that there is grace, grace upon grace for us. Father God, I do pray you'd help us to walk in a way that does honor you with everything in our lives, our time, our efforts, our monies, our thoughts, everything. Father God, and where we know those who have rejected the gospel, Father God, we pray, give us hope for them again. Lord, we ask for their salvation. We ask, Lord, that you would, again, give them a new heart and put your spirit upon them. Father God, we ask for your gospel to be known across the world. Father, where there is persecution of your church, Lord God, we ask for breakthrough. Lord, where we face difficulties in our lives for our faith, Lord, give us your strength. We trust in you, and we thank you, and we say, Lord, have your way in us. Amen.